The reading today is from the prophet Isaiah, page 573, or if you're doing it the traditional way, chapter 8, verse 11, through to chapter 9, verse 7. Page 573, chapter 8, verse 11, to chapter 9, verse 7. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offence, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap, and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts, who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land as greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upwards. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into the thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former times, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in latter times, he had made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Thank you, David, and uh, thank you very much uh, to Norman. Yesterday, we uh, looked at this passage, and we did so by reflecting on the past year, and very simply, uh, looking at the darkness of our circumstances and the world, and finding the light in Jesus, and the application was to look to Jesus for the first time, to look back to him if our eyes have been taken off him, and to keep on looking at him. Thank you to a little boy called Lucas, who via his daddy emailed to say, we just need to keep looking to Jesus. That's spot on. It's a childlike simplicity that we must not lose as adults as we navigate through uh, the challenging world in which we live. Today I said we would look forward to the coming year and try to set out something of a mandate that's on our hearts as elders, uh, not for what will happen or what we will do, but what the priorities are at the heart of all of that. Before I do that, though, I want to point to some factual things to encourage us to pray about. Uh, firstly, uh, the return to the redeveloped building in eight or nine months' time, maybe a little longer than that. Great progress has been made, and you will soon see displayed on the site uh, an architect's drawing of what will happen. Do pray for the community as they pass that and see that, that they will be encouraged uh, uh, by it. But the building is there to be used, and we really want to pray and wait on God for how we can maximize the utility of that space, locally but nationally. We don't want the building ever to be shut. We don't want it to be unused, and we don't want to charge anyone anything for it. We were blessed so much by gospel partnership, and we want to extend it to the use of the gospel. But to that end, something that has burdened us as elders for some time now is how can we reach the most vulnerable in our community and in our city? Uh, I have Andy Robertson in my ear talking about the poor often and his work in Charleston. And I think that we've got to be looking and discerning where these people are in our community. And one major area is Scotland's largest centre for mental health, which gathers people from all over the country who are in desperate, desperate physical and mental need. And I want us to begin to pray for how we can serve and help these people and others in our uh, community who are in great need. We look forward to lots of people coming to train against next year, and um, we'll be able to update you on that over the coming months, but there's a lot of activity and energy and excitement about people uh, coming forward for ministry training in the country, and a big chunk of that will be here uh, next uh, year. And thirdly, the Wood family. I hope you're watching this morning in Durham. Chris and Fee and Naomi and Judah, Callie and Grace and Boaz will be coming to join our uh, staff team here um, uh, in the first few months of 2022. 
It's a big thing for them to leave Durham. They've been there for uh, all of their adult lives. They went as students, stayed on and worked, um, married and have uh, family there. And leaving a job where you've been for uh, 12 or 13 years is a big deal. I've been here for 12 or 13 years. It's a big part of, of your life. But we feel very, very strongly and clearly that uh, Chris uh, is the right person to come and to do this job. And his heart and vision is to liberate people in ministry to do ministry, which is a great, great thing. But I want you to really pray for the Wood family. Um, it's been a challenging time for them. Um, it's a big wrench for them to move. And they need God's help and God's healing and God's blessing. So exciting things ahead. But we'll turn now to the convictions and priorities that underpin them. First, though, let's pray. Our Father, we pray uh, very much for the return to the building. We pray that we will not glory in an asset or in pretty walls or nice rooms or good lighting or audiovisual, but that building will be used 100% for the work of the gospel in this community, in the city, and nationally as different groups uh, want to use it. We pray that you would give us vision, vision and uh, strategic minds as we uh, utilize that uh, building. We pray for the completion of the project. Thank you that nothing untoward has uh, arisen to date. And we pray that the community, as we convey what's happening to them, will uh, join us in anticipation of a, a new refurbished church on the heart of the high street. Lord, for the Wood family, uh, we covet them, we love them, we have grown to know them well. And this morning we pray for Chris and Fee and Naomi and Judah and Kalia, Grace and Boaz. We pray for healing and strength, all the grace that they need to transition from Durham to Edinburgh. And we pray that they will thrive as a family in this church family and that Chris uh, will thrive in his serving here and that Fee and Chris and in the time their children will be a blessing uh, to the gospel and to this community. And Lord, thank you for the energy to train in Chalmers and increasingly across Scotland. We pray, Lord, for the, the people who will be coming here and to other churches over the coming year. Uh, and we pray that we would uh, play our part and do so with full heart and energy in raising up and training the next generation of leaders for the church in Scotland. And there is undeniably a great need for that. Thank you for that possibility we have here for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, have your Bibles open in front of you. Um, I want to crack right through this chapter this morning and set out some principles that will guide us over the next uh, year. Now, Isaiah's message was written to a real people, a real audience uh, back uh, then, uh, many centuries before Christ. The prophet Isaiah's ministry, eight centuries before the birth of Jesus, and he is addressing the people of God under the old covenant. Uh, chapter 7 to 12 of Isaiah form one unit or one chunk in the book, and they describe Ahaz, king of Judah, with its capital city, Jerusalem, looking around. In other words, a beleaguered people of God looking around for protection, for security, for answers in bleak days. Judah, Jerusalem, God's people are under threat. If you like, the church is under threat. 
It is one of the lowest points, the darkest points in the history of the people of God. Full stop. Things are about as bleak as they could possibly be. Israel is a divided kingdom. The church of God in the Old Testament is divided. The northern part, Israel, has already fallen. The lands of Naphtali that the prophet refers to in verse 1 and that Jesus walks into in Matthew chapter 4 are under Assyrian rule. They're conquered. And King Ahaz of the southern kingdom of Judah has all sorts of plans to secure Judah and Jerusalem. Strategic plans for the church. Strategic plans for the people of God. The gist of it is to strike a deal with the Assyrians. To strike a deal. And on the face of it, it seems pretty sensible. The situation is bleak, and to take the matter into one's own hands and try to do something about it seems sensible. It seems sensible. In other words, it is the response of our eyes to what we see and our ears to what we hear. And God is inflexible in the sense that he wants his people in this difficult period in history to trust him. And things get worse and worse and worse. And he wants them to trust him. And there are no caveats around that. He just wants us to trust him in spite of the circumstances they find themselves in. And that is the message God gives Isaiah to a remnant, to the faithful people of God, to turn to God, not Assyria, for their protection and their deliverance. So here we are in the UK uh, in the beginning of the 21st century. We are thoroughly secular through and through. Scotland, the most secular part of uh, the UK, possibly, probably the most secular part of Europe. The church is in free fall, structurally, institutionally. Edinburgh, as well as other parts of the Scotland, is engaging in a strategic plan to close down a third of the churches, something like that. And that should make us think, well, what's going on? Is the church dying? It is being radically shaken up. The landscape in Scotland in the early decades of the 21st century will be extraordinarily different from the mid part and the latter half of the 20th century. Now, here's what we have to do, according to Isaiah the prophet. Number one, and there are five principles, and my New Year's resolution is that my sermons will be shorter, all points will be equally spaced, and simpler. I think simpler is really important. Our job and our prep is to do all the hard work and just preach the application. Number one principle for the people of God in tough times, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. 
Look at verses 11 to 13. For the Lord spoke thus to me, Isaiah is recalling the message God has given him, with his strong hand upon me. So God, with his strong hand upon me, warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Who are this people? They are the people of God. They are not people outside the community of faith. It is the majority, and it is the majority factually in history here, when things are tough, is not to turn to God, but to turn to all manner of other things around except God. In other words, to strike a deal, to strike a deal, for example, with the state, to align one's theology with what's going on, to keep a seat at the table. But that seat is always pulled away. Turning to God, confidence and obedience in God in tough times is not the habitual response of the people of God then or now. How do we know? Because in my life as an individual, it is not my habitual response always to turn to God in tough times. It is to look left and right, behind and to the front, not to turn to God. And if that's true of us individually, it's true of us corporately. That's why churches are such a blessing to us, because they encourage us as individuals to turn to God. You need other people to put your hands in his hand. And churches corporately and churches in partnership encourage one another to keep turning to God in difficult times. Verse 11, For the Lord spoke to me thus with his strong hand, warned me not to walk in the way of the people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, don't be paranoid. Don't think that God is up to something that he's not. Don't think that he's up to something through something that's wrong and he'll bring good out of it. Just keep clear of that. Don't think because Scotland has a fantastic heritage that God's going to overlook disobedience and say, it'll be all right for you. Just look around us. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. The people of God need to think like the people of God. We must not think and act in human terms, fearing what everyone else fears, thinking in rational human categories rather than a confidence in the supernatural power of God. Now, I am in the COVID world about uh, out there on the spectrum of fearful. I think I'm the most fearful person in Chowers but I'm increasingly convinced that we should be doing church in person, and not least because the government's encouraging us to do it. I always remember a conversation with a civil servant when they said to me, why are churches not wanting to meet? And that's striking, isn't it? Yes, we need to be safe. Yes, we need to be safe. But we can't tell people when we're isolated in our homes. Let me encourage us. Let me encourage us to keep, as we are able, meeting together and holding out the gospel. This may go on for years and years. Fear the Lord. Aslan, you know this quote, um, but the best quotes are the best quotes, and they never change. Uh, Lucy asks Mrs. Beaver, is Aslan safe? And uh, Mrs. Beaver said, safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. 
fear the Lord. And little Lucas, if you're listening, there's lesson one for today. Fear the Lord. In other words, remember that He is God. Remember that He is God. Number two, wait for the Lord. Verse 16, bind up the testimony and seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope for him. I will wait for him, and I will put my trust in him. Waiting is one of the hardest things for us to do. If you have a child under five in the run-up to Christmas, waiting is one of the hardest things for them to do. Waiting, uh, waiting, waiting. It is very hard to wait on God. It is very, very hard to wait for God to act when He's not acting. It is very hard to wait out decades of decline. It is very hard to wait out silence. It's very hard to wait out when God is not yet doing what Norman prayed he would do, and we must pray for that, and we can have our plans, our buildings, our strategies, all the rest of it, but unless God by His Spirit ignites a flame in our hearts, waiting for the Lord. And God is not flexible when it comes to obedience. He's gracious, but graciousness does not mean flexibility is that he looks over wrongs. He needs us to repent and to pray and to wait. And when we wait, don't compromise, give in. And there's another danger is that we withdraw. We, we turn in on ourselves. And one of the dangers is that we get awfully used to, and I'm not talking about the health issues. You know I'm as paranoid as any of you. But one of the dangers is that we get used to watching church on a telly. Let's be really careful. Waiting for the Lord. Verse 21, uh, when God's people do not fear Him, wait for Him and put their trust in other things, things begin to go badly wrong. Verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. That's an extreme version of when things are really tough for the people of God, cynicism creeps in. They will speak contemptuously against their God and turn their faces upwards and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is a vivid and powerful picture of the people of God who have lost their confidence in God. I mean, that's a striking thing, isn't it? The people of God, all through history, there appears when they lose their confidence in God. And I want to encourage Chalmers and Redeemer here as church families I want to encourage you, us, that we have not lost our confidence in God. I want to encourage you and us that we are not cynical. I want to encourage you that we are waiting patiently. You might say, well, I've never seen him wait patiently for anything. There's plenty of plans going on. But in a sense, we are, aren't we? We need... 
the, the power of God to come. That we can't energize that. Waiting patiently, we are. Now, if we have to do that for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, if we have to build a scaffolding that God pours his blessing into in the future as we plant churches and as we train people, we have to wait on the Lord and not give in or change the gospel or change the message. So easy to do that. Because all that will lead to is anguish and despair. Now, fear the Lord. Are you listening, Lucas? Two down, three to go. Fear the Lord. Ask your daddy what that means. Doesn't quite mean what you think. Number two, wait for the Lord. Well done writing it down. Good boy. Why it's important. You inherit all this one day. Fear the Lord. Wait for him to act. Number three, believe God's word. Look at verse 2. The peop- this is 800 years before Jesus. The people who walked in darkness have seen future perfect, prophetic perfects. What happens in 800 years has happened. That's what the writer is saying. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. And uh, you see uh, again, uh, verse 4, you have broken as on the day of uh, Midian. Now, fear the Lord, principle one. Wait for the Lord, principle two. Principle number three, think, think, think how many wrong turns would be avoided or would have been avoided in our lives as individuals, as families, as churches, as churches in nations, if we had believed God's Word and not changed it. Believe what in Isaiah 9? Believe what it says about light in the darkness. So believe what God's Word says about light in the darkness. Don't think that this world is lit up. It's dark. It is. But don't ever think that the light has not broken in and shined in the darkness. Redemption has dawned. The sun, you may have yesterday if you were in church or online, we we sang about the sun of righteousness, spelled S-O-N. That was a mistake. It's the S-U-N of righteousness. It's righteousness coming up like the dawn at the end of the dark night. And Christ in his birth, in his death, his resurrection and his reign, the sun is up. The sun is up. Righteousness has dawned. And there are hundreds of references in the New Testament to uh, the light uh, shining. Uh, let me just uh, point you to a couple. John 1, uh, read that perhaps this afternoon. In him was life. The light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And men and women live in two realms. 
They live in the dark or they live in the day. I want to encourage the church family here in Chalmers Redeemer and the church family which you are a part of is that we are people of the day, not the night. We live in the light and we get to shine that light into a dark world. Fear the Lord. Wait for Him to act. Don't take matters into our own hands. Don't employ strategy that doesn't have the gospel in it. And believe God's word. Believe uh, what? Believe that light has broken into the darkness. Believe that the sun of righteousness has dawned. And believe what it says about joy. Look, verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they were glad when they divide the spoil. Joy of those who rejoice at the harvest, joy of those who share the spoils of victory. Uh, Christians are, are either uh, glass half full or glass half empty, joy half full or joy half empty. I'm of the uh, latter variety. You know, Christians are either superficially joyful or they're not joyful. The kind of joy that this is talking about is joy when you know that the light has dawned, but you still realize how dark the world is. It's the joy in chapter 9 that sits with chapter 8. We must be people of joy. You know, Isaiah 9 is written into the bleakest time in the history of the people of God, and there is not a hint in this remnant who were looking at exile and waiting and centuries before Christ comes. There is not a hint of cynicism, joy, purity, holiness, life. Believe God's Word. Believe that the light has dawned. Believe that that is joyful. And when you believe that something is joyful, you need to be joyful. Not superficially, but deeply joyful. And believe what it all says about liberation, verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. Verse 5, uh, believe what it says about the battles being ended for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every burden rolled in blood will be fuel for the fire. In other words, believe that the light has dawned, believe and live that as a joyful thing because of the truth about liberation. Now, there's so much we could say in these verses. The liberation that is spoken of here is that God in Jesus Christ lifts the burdens off humanity's shoulders. And that means sin. It means judgment. It means death. And the joy that is spoken of here, liberation, he lifts the burdens and he ends all wars. Now, think back to Isaiah 2. He will beat 
the, the, the weapons of war into plows. There will be no weapons of war in the end. Now, this is not now in our world, as Norman has prayed. This is what will come when Christ comes again. But he has already guaranteed that all the burdens of judgment will be gone. All the burdens of sin will be gone. All the burdens of sickness will be gone. And it's so powerful when you preach to a church when everyone's got a mask on and half the place is empty because of a pandemic. All these burdens will be gone. And there will be no battles and no wars. So go home today and look up on the internet somewhere what's happening in Myanmar. Just read it, it's terrible. And it will go on and on and on. But Jesus Christ has lifted the burdens and will end all wars. Now that's what we are to believe about God's Word. We are to believe that light has broken into the darkness. We are to believe that that is a joyful, joyful thing. We are to be uh, joyful. We are to believe all that the Word of God says about liberation. The burden of sin is lifted in Christ, and this world will be made new. But is that not all pie in the sky? And if you are not a Christian, you might think it is. Well, here's why it's not pie in the sky. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There is nothing, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said it, there is nothing so fantastic as the incarnation. These verses speak of his historical birth. He was born in a stable. He was born in Bethlehem. Well, he wasn't born in a stable, was he? It was an inn or an outhouse. But he was born when Quirinius, the governor of Judea, was in charge. He was born in a place, and he lived, and he died, and he rose, and he reigns. That boy who became a man was fully human and fully God. He is uniquely Emmanuel. He is uniquely the mediator, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. How is he uniquely the mediator? Because it takes God and man combined in the second Adam for all of us to be reconciled to God. And he is uniquely Redeemer. His authority, he shoulders the burden of rule. Just think of Jesus. Who on earth has the authority to say as he hung on a cross? I think this is one of the most, if not the most powerful statement in his life. 
as he hung dying on the cross. Not the statement, why have you forsaken me, or it is finished, but the extraordinary authority that he said, today you will be with me in paradise. His activity, he is wonderful counselor. That means supernatural, all-knowing, Wonderful in Hebrew, I think, means requires God as an explanation. <laughs> Mighty God, He will rule. The agent of creation, the Lord of creation, the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life. Time up for me. I've <laughs> lost my place. We all right? Well done, David. David, you'll never ever do that again, will you? <laughs> Just for those of you at home, that was David Voge's phone. And bless him, now you all know. <laughs> bless him, he was at the front and his phone was at the back. <laughs> Where were we? Mighty God, everlasting Father. That doesn't mean to say that Jesus is Father-like, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that He has the conviction and the faithfulness of an everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and His kingdom finally is everlasting. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So here are our principles for the new year. Fear the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And that might run on into 2023. Believe God's Word. Look to Jesus, the man who was God, who lived, who died, who was raised, who reigns, and who will return. Look to him. And principle number five for us living 2,000 years after the birth of Christ is to draw out the difference between the people of God 800 years before Jesus. Think of how much harder it was for them to hold on to all of these promises as they looked exile in the eye. And then 500 years before Christ would come, Here are we 2,000 years after Christ has come. And I wonder if it's inappropriate to say that as Christians living this side of the birth, death, resurrection, and 
at the time of the reign of Christ, I wonder if it's inappropriate to say we need a kind of shake and a bit of a kick to start living in light or to start living in the light of so much that has been fulfilled with the zeal and the energy that God's people in tougher and harder times found. How do we do that? Well, we plant and we train and we give our energies to the work of the gospel in our day. And let me encourage us all as we enter another year of COVID not to stay away from church in person any longer than we need to. So important. And if it helps you, well, remember your minister is absolutely paranoid. We must hold out the gospel. I quoted from this hymn yesterday. Here's another verse. This is, O soul that is weary and troubled, no light in the darkness, you see, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Here's the last verse. His word shall not fail you. He promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. We've got to be church to do that. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and in grace. Fear the Lord. Wait for him. Believe his word. Look to Jesus and live in the light of fulfillment and tell people of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this great chapter as we have swept through it. Help us, Lord, over the coming year to fear the Lord, to wait for the Lord, to believe God's Word, to look to Jesus, and to live in the light of fulfillment. And Lord, in these very trying circumstances in which we are living, we pray that you would end this pandemic as we have prayed and we pray that you would end it not just in this part of the world where we have uh, ample medical resources, but in parts of the world that do not have them. And we pray that through it all, the living church of Jesus Christ would thrive and grow. Help us to be really wise and really careful, but help us too to be proportionate. Help us never, ever to grow comfortable sitting at home watching church on a screen. Give us confidence and courage and wisdom and care and caution all in combination so that we live in this dark time as people of the day, fearing the Lord, waiting for the Lord, 
believing his word, looking to Jesus, and living in the light of much that has been fulfilled, anticipating what is yet to come, the Lord Jesus. And we pray that these convictions will mark us out as a church over this coming year. And we pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.